Our program continues with session three, point nine, the classic realization of experience. Hello and welcome back to session three of our course on the Enneagram. And we're going to be looking at point nine in this session and uh, exploring it in the same manner that we did in point eight. But as we also did in point eight, let's begin our time together with a centering. And we want to keep coming back to that. I'm really wishing for you to understand the connection between these patterns we're seeing and this deeper place of wholeness that we're doing our best to rediscover and live. So again, first I just find my breath. Now, probably I'm breathing. <laughs> we hope so. But if I'm breathing, something different happens when I'm present with my breathing, when I'm paying attention to that. What happens? I see it, it tends to shift the quality of my attention. It tends to bring me more into the living moment because my breath is part of the living moment. Might also notice as I'm breathing that this is reconnecting me with sensation as we saw in the last session. Can I feel the sensations in my body? Whatever is appearing in my awareness, I go with that. Now this time, rather than noticing the aliveness, see if you can notice how the sensation helps you land, helps you get more grounded, more steady and established. As we stay with the breath, stay with sensation, even though the sensation and breath is changing, it brings in an awareness of something more solid in me. It's, a, it's an odd thing to say, but it's a spacious solidity. And a kind of dropping away of agitation and distraction. Also here, sensation becomes a way that I feel reconnected with the living moment, as if I'm more embedded 
in reality part of the world, part of what's here. It's an odd thing, but as I become more relaxed and landed in my body, it gets easier to relax, but it's surprising that as I go deeper into awareness of the body, I actually feel more connected with what's around me. I feel more part of the world. There's less of a sense of being a separate thing feel more part of life, part of presence, part of consciousness. And the more I perceive that, the relaxation can continue and deepen. And so we can just continue as we're exploring this material to keep coming back to this sense of relaxed, grounded presence, the feeling of being more connected with the moment. And this is the realm of nine. Very much uh, kind of classic meditation experience and in its deeper levels kind of the classic realization experience there can be the feeling that i'm coming back to myself returning like i've been wandering or lost or floating around somewhere and now i'm coming home the feeling of coming home to my body in the here and now, coming home to my heart, coming home to my true mind. It's funny how much of our spiritual fantasies are often about going somewhere else, leaving myself, leaving the world. And yet I find that when I come home to myself, I rediscover the vast universe that I'm part of. It's by coming into the sacred experience of myself in the here and now, in this body, as I am right now, that opens me to the more boundless elements of my nature.
It's a little counterintuitive, but I invite you to explore that in your own experience. I think you'll find it's the body is the gateway. Um, the Sufis have a marvelous expression. They say the soul is an ocean and the body is the beach. So if you want to go swim in the ocean, it, you have to go to the beach. So this coming back to ourselves is such a thing. Mr. Gurdjieff, uh, when he was teaching about this whole broader process, used to call the central practice self-remembering. And it, it took me a while to understand what he meant by that. But it, 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 of course, it doesn't mean that I remember I'm Russ. It doesn't mean I remember some autobiographical information. It means I remember to be here. I remember there's someone here that's more than any of my concepts about myself. And of course, that's true of you too. When we come back to ourselves, we remember something of what it really is to be a human being. We remember that we are consciousness. We remember that we are spirit. Uh, and it's not just a groovy philosophy. It's not just an idea to cheer me up. It's our felt sense. It's our immediate experience. It's self-evident as we come back to presence through the body. And nine, sitting right at the top of the Enneagram, is really exemplifying this very, very important piece of the whole journey. Now, when we're looking at all of this as a gift, the nine gift is this realization of presence itself. This being landed in the moment, back at home in myself, and as a result, feeling more of the unity of reality. That circle that we talked about in the first session now is my direct experience. I'm feeling more of the wholeness the interconnectedness, the harmony of reality. Those processes we talked about, I'm, I'm feeling them. I'm knowing them by feeling them, by being them. This can manifest as a lot of other beautiful things. One thing that we might notice when I myself come in for a landing, it becomes an invitation for others to come in for a landing. When I'm grounded and at peace in myself, other people know they can relax. They know I'm not up to anything. I'm not running an agenda. I'm not hiding anything. So when any of us comes in and lands like this, it helps other people land. It helps us disengage from whatever unconscious projects we're caught up in. There can be tremendous creativity coming through this groundedness. There's a wish for people to recognize what they are, to see and know the harmony and beauty of this world, and to experience the wholeness. And I think people who are nines as their dominant energy tend to have a natural gift for that. Uh, there's so many different ways that can show up, and we'll, we'll talk a bit more about that in a little bit. But I want you to really get the sense of this flow, dynamism, groundedness. It's both dynamic and also very peaceful. A kind of feeling of effortlessness. 
when I watch people practicing Tai Chi, which I've done in China, for example, and I wake up in the morning and there's several hundred elderly Chinese people doing Tai Chi together, it really gives me the feeling of this nine energy. In fact, the whole Chinese philosophy of Taoism, following the great Tao, is very congruent with this nine sensibility. So you don't want to get the idea that this peaceful groundedness is something static. It's not. It's very alive and dynamic and flowing, but it's it's not separate things doing stuff. It's more feeling the river flow, if you see what I mean. And from that, a lot of beautiful things can come. Um, this nine energy expresses itself through the body as a sense of fullness, of uh, the feeling that I'm inhabiting myself, like I'm filling out all the little parts. I'm right out to and through my skin. I'm a... I'm this lusciousness of presence that's coming right out through my pores. And I'm just filled in. There's a sense of expanding into the fullness of my presence. And the sense of the solidity I talked about. I don't have to extrapolate an idea that I exist, that I am. I feel my existence. There's a felt sense of being itself that philosophers have talked about throughout history. Well, that's the home base here. That's this nine energy as felt through the body. Now, through the heart, the nine energy is the ability to be with. Being is often being with something, being with an experience, being with another person, being with a phenomena, being with a piece of music, being with my friend's sorrow or joy. And so its manifesting is in the heart as this being with whatever's happening as a kind of heartful, spacious holding. One thing that nines are really good at is the ability to be with other people and their experience without laying any kind of trips on them. That just to be there in a solid way, a good listener, but with a heartful engagement in what's happening, right? So many times when we're having a hard time, people tend to want to give us advice or tell us they know how it feels or do all sorts of things that human beings come up with to try to cheer up their friend when they perceive their friends having a hard time. In such times, when we're going through a difficult experience, there's a certain grace where we sort of see the efforts of our friend, even though it's not really helping us, we love them anyway, even though we can see how, in some sense, they're trying to protect themselves from our loss or our difficulty, and we love them anyway. What we're longing for is someone who could just bring this nine heart quality to us. If you could just be here, if you could just sit in this with me, if we could just be together in it, oh my goodness, what heaven that would be. And that's really what nines are amazing at. And of course, it goes without saying, if I'm really cultivating this gift of the nine in myself, I can do that with my own experiences too. I can be with my own difficulties, my own sorrows. 
is a hugely important thing with not just in a passive way, but in an actively engaged way. And the in, then in the head center, it's kind of hard to describe this, but there's a quality of coming to what I need to say or do or understand with a kind of effortlessness. It's like this smooth, liquid glass quality of mind that just flows naturally toward whatever needs to be expressed or not expressed or understood. This kind of effortlessness of our higher mind. We're not scrunching up trying to figure stuff out. It comes to us. It's this sense of of letting things come to us, letting understanding come to us. You put all that together, well, my goodness, there's the nine essence manifesting through these three centers. Any one of those could be a portal to the whole journey, which is something I find endlessly fascinating and uh, encouraging. This can appear in the personality as a lot of wonderful things. Healthy nines, high-functioning nines have this ease have this harmonious approach to life, but they're active people. Uh, Nines are out doing stuff. They can be very accomplished. Uh, Here in the United States, I think we probably had more type nine presidents than any other type. And some of our really great ones have been type nine. Nines can be in business. They can be in engineering or science, in medicine. They can be in art. There's so many great, passionate, wonderful artists who are nines. There's really no place I can think of where I wouldn't expect to see nines. Another quality here is that nines, this nine energy helps me not lose my cool. There's a way in which I'm very good at dealing with intense situations because I have some connection with this inner groundedness. So you might find nines working in emergency rooms at a hospital. You might find nines working in a fire department, uh, doing crisis management. There's something about them that reassures others. Uh, When I was a child, one of the most popular television announcers was a man named Walter Cronkite. And we were going through the middle of the Vietnam War and all kinds of problems and the civil rights movement was going on and there was a lot of change happening in our culture. Walter Cronkite would come on the news and tell us all this stuff and at the end he'd go, and that's the way it is on September the 19th, 1967, whatever it was. There's just something in his tone that let you think, okay, I can go to bed now and wake up in the morning and it's going to be okay. There's something about the being of nines that reassures us that, yes, there are problems, but we'll deal with them and we're going to be okay. And if we stay grounded, we will move through this. That kind of philosophy that this too will pass is very kind of a nine way of looking at things also. Now, all of that can be really wonderful and gorgeous and a great help. But as we start to get less present, those really good qualities become a facsimile of that. They're not really that. They just look like it. And again, like the eight, 
the personality is going to try to step in to solve this because the loss of presence for the nine is experienced as the loss of that groundedness, the loss of feeling home in myself, the loss of that inner peace, the loss of feeling connected. So what does that leave me? It leaves me feeling peripheral, like I don't belong, like I'm not at home, like I don't have any right to be here, like I don't matter. Very common things for many human beings to experience in their heart of hearts and absolutely terrible and absolute suffering. And this creates the passion uh, of sloth. This passion is also traditionally called asedia. And if you read the early literature on these passions from you know early Christianity, it was also sometimes called sadness. For this reason, nines often mistake themselves as fours because there's this undertone of sadness. But it's, it's a very particular thing here. The sadness discussed here is a kind of resignation. Like, there's really nothing I can do. There's, there, things aren't going to get better. So I'll just make the best of what I got. Uh, a kind of inner collapse. And sloth doesn't mean laziness. Sometimes people teaching the Enneagram will talk about sloth as if nines are lazy people. Now, frankly, I don't know what nines they're talking to. I don't know lazy nines. Most of the nines I know are very hardworking people. They try to do right by their families. They can achieve great success in their fields of endeavor. But that's not what sloth is referring to. It's more a resistance to what I need to do for my own development and liberation. It's a way that I make myself unimportant even when I'm doing important stuff. It's a kind of self-erasing. Now, if you look to the deeper levels of that, I call the core of sloth the shattered heart. What I mean by that is it's one thing to feel that my heart is broken. That's already pretty bad. But I would also invite us to consider that everyone we encounter is walking around with a broken heart. People have heartbrokenness. But this is more like the heart broken into thousands of pieces. It's not just split in two. It's literally shattered like a beautiful crystal that's been dropped on the floor. It's just all over the place. And the sense here is that beautiful unity, that wholeness, that beautiful sense of being at one with myself and with life and the universe is completely busted apart. And I perceive that within myself, like I feel no unity in myself, but I also don't perceive it in the world. The, the unity of the world feels broken apart and in some way that feels overwhelming. And so sloth then is this shutting down around the suffering of that, numbing myself to it. I can't face this. This is too big. It's too heartrending. It's too sad. I can't deal with this. So I'm just going to chill out I'm going to numb out and I'm just going to try to turn my attention away from this. 
Now, we have to be kind with ourselves about this again. When little children are facing scary things or overwhelming things, it's quite natural for them to use their imaginations as a way to cope. Maybe they're hearing violence in their neighborhood, so many children in the world growing up in tough spots. And we might, in that situation, sing ourselves a song or make up a fantasy world with our dolls or our toys, or we might go into a fantasy world where we're thinking about stuff that reassures us. Um, maybe a, we read a, a book about a horse and we're thinking about that horse. Maybe we're remembering a time where we were sitting on our grandmother's lap and she was singing to us or telling us wonderful stories. But we use our minds to weave a safer space inside us that takes us out of the overwhelm of whatever trauma it is that we're confronting. And that's an absolutely amazing thing that human beings can do, that we can weave trances and put ourselves in them and kind of hide there until the coast is clear. The problem is, once we go in there, we don't know when the coast is clear. And so we continue to create a self out of that withdrawn participation. We start to live more in this inner fantasy world than we do in the immediacy of the life we're in. Now, if you think that's a rare thing, just go to the local grocery store and walk around and look at people buying their groceries and see how many people actually are there with their full attention. Ride the bus, go public transport, go anywhere and see how much people are hiding behind roles and not really there in any kind of tangible, engaged way. So what I'm suggesting is this isn't weird. It's kind of normal that people do this. It's only weird when you begin to see it. And I suspect that when we're little kids and we're full of life and energy, and we look around and there's a certain absence in the way all the adults and people around us are manifesting, that also is terrifying. What do we do? If we want to join them, we have to leave too. The last element I, I would notice about this is I think a lot of us are angry about being here. Like we have some kind of vestigial memory of being part of the cosmos, being part of consciousness, being part of the dance of reality. And somehow we got plopped into this world where people do all the awful things that we know they do. And we're kind of mad about it. And there's a part of us that feels here by protest. It's a funny thing with nines because on one hand, I think nines are great lovers of nature and lovers of the world in a certain way. But in another way, that nine in all of us is resentful that we have to be here and deal with all this dreadful human behavior and all the difficulties of being in this world. So sloth has to do with all of that in some sense, the shattered heart and so forth. I do think though that we... The danger here, the thing that's important for us to realize is how 
often our spirituality gets hijacked by this, by the project to get ourselves out of here, to escape reality, to transcend reality, to be in some higher plane, to say namaste with a smile on our face while we're really thinking some other uh, thoughts inside. There's a way in which our spirituality can be confused with weaving trances that make us feel better, which is very popular and understandably so. But I want to suggest that's not awakening. That's not presence. That's not liberation. It's, it's pain relief and who can blame us? But at some point we might want to recognize, wow, I've been on painkillers for a while. And if I want to have a full life, I might need to get off my favorite painkillers. Many of our spiritual predilections in the early stages will tend to be painkillers. And I hope you can see with some compassion for yourself and for other people why that would almost have to be. It's, it does Again, it doesn't mean we're dumb or foolish. It's just what human beings do until we have enough inner strength cultivated that we can go to the next step and see beyond that. But we don't want to get hung up on thinking that these trances and these ways we can hypnotize ourselves really are enlightenment or anything like it. When we start to have experiences of embodiment, we start to come back into our body and to feel the real connection with everything, then the philosophical take on that, that all is one, becomes less important than me being here in the direct experience of that truth. Then it's not necessarily an object of what I'm thinking about. I'm more paying attention to what's here and now. And this is going to start to produce the virtue is that wholeness and unity and presence starts to show me again and again that I'm not this shattered self. Or we might say that every time I come back to myself, it helps the healing of that shattered heart in me and in the world. I start to feel there is something I can do. There is a way I can be that makes a difference. And this brings about the virtue of, uh, well, Ichazo called it action. I call it engagement. I could see why Ichazo used the term action, but I think it's a little misleading. Again, it implies that nines are kind of lazy and not doing anything until they're practically enlightened, and then they're going to take action. Well, that's not my experience, and I don't think that's really what he meant, but people tend to hear it that way because of those words. I use the word engagement because I think it's a little clearer when we're present and we're discovering that the portal to our union with everything is through our presence, through our embodiment, we, our heart gets interested in what's happening now. We fall in love with reality now. We're interested in this conversation. We're not thinking about something else. We're not flying off into wild blue yonders or pastel skies. We're right here in the pulsing living world and in union with it again for real. And this quality of engagement, again, is a sign of somebody who's done their work. Well, just to remind us, Oscar Chazo was the man who combined the Enneagram symbol, the law of one, law of three, law of seven, with the typology, with what the 
particular energies were at each of the nine points. So a lot of the traditional language that we use comes from his studies, uh, his study of the Desert Fathers and Kabbalah and many other things. But here, as I'm saying, his word action, I think, can be misunderstood. So I've suggested the word engagement. And you can feel that quality of engagement and notice that when people have some authentic realization, if I'm with that person and I'm talking or they're talking, there's the sense of their absolute participation in that conversation. They're right there with me, right? Whether we're with a child or we're with a sunset or we're listening to a piece of music, there's a total being with, as I said, that experience, which is the sign of a real cultivation, a real development in, in a human being that doesn't happen by itself. It's something that grows and matures in us. And as I said, there's more and more the ability to be with even difficult experiences with total engagement, interest, and participation. That being said, it doesn't help us to think we're bad if we disengage, if we shut down, because you know what? We're going to. There will be times in our life where something triggers us, where something overwhelms us, and that mechanism will step right in and we'll do what we do. It doesn't help us to think that that's a bad thing, but it does help us to notice, oh, I've shut down again. And then we can begin to see through that with mercy and come back to this groundedness where we may very well find resources that we need to address that particular situation we find ourselves in. That transmutation into the virtue is a real core of working with the type. And as we do that, of course, you're going to get back to the feeling of those centers, of the way that I described the nine energy in each of the centers. Once we've stepped into the pattern of the passion, we're also going to have the fixation. The fixation, Ichazo called indolence. And I understand that term, but I don't think it differentiates things quite enough from the other word for the passion, which is sloth. Those two words to me mean kind of the same thing. So I started to look at what is it that nines do and the nine in all of us does that creates or sustains our slothfulness, our shutdownness, our disengagement, you might say. And I call it ruminating. Ruminating is what cows do. It's chewing. As you may know, animals that eat grass, like cows and goats, they will chew the food, they'll chew the grass, they'll chew the leaves, and then they swallow them, partially digest them, regurgitate them, and chew them again so they get all the nutrition out. They, they just chew and chew and chew and chew. Well, the nine in us is chewing our thoughts. We're just chewing our thoughts over and over again, going over, kind of thinking this and kind of thinking that. And then I might think about that. And on the other hand, this is an interesting thing. We're just kind of rolling along with our thoughts. If you really broke that down in the simplest language, I think what we're doing is talking to ourselves. We are 
keep in ourselves company. Once we've shattered into that separate little piece and all everybody else is shattered into their little piece, we feel very alone and isolated. And in that isolated sense of self, we talk to ourselves. We try to keep ourselves company. And so there's this ongoing almost commentary uh, that we're having about our experience as we go along. But as we identify with that little voice in our head just talking to us about this, that, and the other thing, it actually sustains the sense of disengagement and of being separate and not part of things. It's it's an interesting thing to begin to notice just how much we do that. And again, the fixation is something that everybody does that is a particular specialty of the type in question. I also think that it's something that we do most of the time. And again, you'd be amazed to see how much we spend ruminating, how many hours of the day. The other thing to see here is that when we bring presence to the fixation, it opens up to the holy ideas, to the non-dual states. And that's another whole matter. But we also will begin to see how we're locked into a pattern with the centers, just as we were in point eight. Here, it's a little different. The nine pattern is to first identify with body, sensation, comfort, well-being, energies, flow, all of that. Nines, I think, even in personality, go more by their feeling of things, their sense of things. And certainly, they're more into reading other people's energy or body language than they are believing what people say, shall we say. I'm tuning into your energy, your posture, and so forth, and I'm picking up things from that just as much and probably more than I am to what you're saying. So there's this body awareness is a very powerful thing. But the nine does something different than the eight. The eight, as I got more fixated, as an eight, I brought in a second center to sort of support the first. In the case of the eight, I brought the thinking in to support the agenda of the body and the instincts. Here in the nine... It's, it's a little stranger. The body splits off from the mind and heart. And so there's the side of me that is just very kinesthetic and very instinctual and very physical. And there's the other part of me that's got all sorts of ideas and feelings, but the two don't communicate. When I'm in the mode of my body... I'm into comfort, I'm into instinctual gratification, I'm into a certain kind of intuition, a certain kind of knowing. And when I'm in that mode, I know how to just kind of hang out and do that very well. But the other side of me has lots of ideas and creativity, and I call that daydream mode, where I have all kind of, you know, super cool concepts and stories I've created or solutions I found, but because that part of me is disconnected from the body, it's very hard to bring those ideas into action. And there you find the sloth. Even though I see this situation, I don't know how to put my willpower behind it to make it a reality. Now, if other people are in 
the process with me and they can do some of that, then yes, maybe some of this can come to the fore. But if not, there's this frustrating sense of having these good ideas and not knowing how to actualize them. Whereas on when I go more to the body, I feel really good. I've got a lot of energy, but I'm disconnected from the part of me that has the ideas and the inspirations. So here, the challenge is to put these two parts of me back together again. How does that happen? I meet a lot of nines who are real spiritual seekers and they're very dedicated and they do their practices and they do their meditations. So I'm in no way suggesting that nines are not completely sincere and and focused in their spiritual journey. But I am saying that given that psychological structure, there's a tendency to have a split between my spirituality and lived life or to have a kind of spirituality that does not address my emotional issues. So it's not like I go to presence to get away from my difficulties. I go to my presence to transcend my sloppy, messy human self, right? I just meditate or do my practices long enough. I, I yes, get the hell out of here. That's not it. Nor am I doing it to create an alternative lifestyle to other things that might be calling me. These are all temptations in the nine and understandable. What I'm looking for is presence with content. I'm looking for my presence, as I said, that engagement, that ability to be with my inner experience, to be with my anger, my sorrow, my disappointment, my frustration with myself, not to, not to enshrine those feelings, but to be with them in a way that they can get worked through and healed and transmuted. It's also the part of the restitching of the centers so they start to communicate again, to bring that being and groundedness into contact with what's going on in my emotions, what's going on with my minds, not thinking that thinking is bad, but being present with what I'm thinking about, to not assume that what I'm thinking is the totality of reality. You see, it's, it's a, a journey that's challenging, I think, for everyone, you know, to actually have our presence be presence with the content of our experience, to not reject our egoic manifestations, but to be present with them is a huge growth step. And I think nine teaches all of us about that. Very, very important. So as we work with the centers, that's going to bring back the flow of that fullness in the body, that engagement in the heart, that spaciousness and ease in the mind. And then we're on our journey. When I look at nines, again, on the personality level, I discuss some of the wonderful things that happen. Once that split happens there are problems that tend to come from that. Procrastination is a big one. Making other people's agendas more important than mine and then getting angry about that, although not saying anything about it. Nines will often keep putting their own wishes on the back burner. Even though they may be accomplished and doing well in life in certain respects, there's certain things I really wish for for myself, for my soul's journey that I 
put off and put off and put off. And I get angry about that. So anger, just dealing with anger itself becomes a huge stumbling point for nines. And so the whole idea that anger is bad, negative, destructive is a belief many nines have. And yet it's being able to be with, present with my anger that becomes perhaps the most important transformational vehicle available to me as a nine. Anger, when we're present with it, is a manifestation of the energy that lets us take a stand, that really establishes us here, connects us in a certain way with that eight aliveness. When we suppress our anger or deny it or dissociate from it, it doesn't go away, it just goes into hiding. Maybe it goes into our muscle tissues where we keep massage therapists in business because we're holding so much tension and energy in our musculature, in our tissues. Maybe we dissociate and then one day somebody just left the sink a little messy and we completely lose it because all this stored up anger now comes out in a very inappropriate way over a very small matter. Um, maybe it comes out as a kind of nasty sarcasm at my friend where I'm not even understanding all the complex feelings I'm having about that friend. I guess what I'm saying is nine is the, one of the types that's prone to the popular concept of spiritual bypass, where my spiritual work as a nine very centrally needs to be about me honoring that I have human needs and feelings, honoring that I have conflicts with others, honoring that my being here matters. And as I come back into presence, I found myself more and more skillful at dealing with these very human situations. I don't have to hide from myself. I don't have to hide from other people. And then, of course, it's going to be easier and easier for me to take action and put the strength and power of my will behind these beautiful ideas and creative offerings that I have. Right? So that's all good news from my point of view. We talked about the masculine and feminine traits. I think in the nine, it's not quite as clear cut as it was with the eight. I don't see nine as particularly masculine or feminine. Uh, I can find plenty of elements of genders in the different ways that nine manifests. I think the instinctual way that a nine might look, I think the way that the nineness might show up in a male versus in a female, particularly if we're talking about when we're on the body side of the energy, could look a little different. There are ways that women go about their instinctual life that's kind of different than how guys do. But even in there, given the spectrum of gender expression, you don't want to make hard and fast rules about that. People manifest these things in a lot of ways. And I think nines are one of the types that's more comfortable in a sense with the range of the expressions of their gender. This tends not to be so much of an issue for nines. There's a lot of live and let live in the nine perspective, which I think is a healthy perspective. So we wanted to talk about the inner lines, which are very important, the integration point and the stress point. So if you look at the Enneagram symbol, 
you'll see the nine sits there right at the top of the Enneagram in that Beautiful equilateral triangle has two legs that come down from the nine point, one to three and one to six. The six is the stress point. What is that? Well, the nine operating system is to reassure myself, to soothe myself, to chill out. Uh, don't harsh my mellow, dude. You know, it's, it's that. Uh, and there's a way that when that's running too strongly... I don't deal with things quite when I need to. I used to use the metaphor that the nine circuit was a bit like the snooze button on an alarm clock. Some of us remember having alarm clocks in our room. Some of us may still have alarm clocks, but you know, there's that temptation button on the top that, you know, the alarm goes off and you hit that button and you can get five more minutes of kind of sleep. And you might do that a few times because you're just wanting to, you're comfy and you're all curled up and it feels pretty good. So you hit that snooze button again and again. But if you keep doing it, at some point you realize you've got about five minutes to get to work and then you're like in a panic and you're all anxious and you're, you're angry with yourself and you're dashing around. Well, that's nine goes to six. It's like, I put it off. I put it off. I'm not dealing with this. I'm not dealing with this, blah, blah, blah oh my God, I've got to deal with this. What am I going to do? And then I kind of freak out. Now we can do that a little bit or we can do that a lot. Uh, we're suddenly, we're, we're nervous, we're panicky. We're not sure what's safe and what's not. Now, actually that anxiety's always been there in the background, but my nine defense is to sort of numb myself to that, to shut down, to not be aware of it. So actually it is a, from one point of view, it's a healthy thing to notice it. It's a shadow realization. Wow, I'm more anxious than I thought. I actually do want to deal with all this stuff. I'm not sure how to, but I know I want to. So that there's a realization that can come from that stress response. Now, the other side is to three. And this one always tickles me. It's kind of amusing. I have often said that I believe that nines and sixes... Uh, when they got born, uh, signed a contract saying they will not be narcissistic. And not only in, in the nine and six position do I not want to be narcissistic, I'm really annoyed when other people are. When other people are show-offs or fancy pants or, or bragging or acting all sexy, this just bothers me. Now, as a nine, I'm going to try to be demure about it, but oh, oh, these people. I get very, very bugged by that. So... What I want to notice is with certain people that I really love and trust, I can be a tad attention seeking. <laughs> I want people to notice how lucky they are to have me in their life. I want them to notice how sexy I am. I want them to notice how gorgeously wonderful I am and that they ought to appreciate me in their life. So we don't do that with everybody, just certain people where it's safe. We trot out our that young part of us that really did need attention. So if we could just be honest about that, <laughs> instead of thinking of narcissism as a dirty word, we just recognize, you know, there's a part of me that really wants your attention. I really want you to see me. I really want you to see that I'm great. You know, we're several steps closer to liberation by being honest about that than getting to some spiritual nonsense and pretending we don't have that feeling.
doesn't help us at all to bury it. It just comes out in weird ways later on. So when we do that, that narcissistic need actually is an echo, a distortion of a real need, which is the realization of who I am and that I matter. Yes, I'm consciousness, and yes, my life is just an expression of the sea of spirit and being. Yes, yes, yes. And there is this beautiful, once-in-all-time expression of that consciousness here as this precious human life, and that counts. That matters. I matter. My life matters. What I do with my life matters. And that's the realization of three. And so you can't be a stuck nine and understand that truth. There are no healthy nines that haven't realized the healthy three. So the integration is the coming together where now I still have that beautiful, chill nine energy. I still know how to flow and be at ease and be grounded. But now I also have the energy, the spark, the inner flame to do what I'm here to do and understand that it matters beyond whatever skills I may have developed along the way that may have been my idea or not, I now have the energy to bring forward what I care about, what matters to me, what my heart compels me to. And I hope you can perceive the difference there. Now, the high side of six is also a big realization, missing piece, but I'm going to talk about those at the end, as I said. But when I can be the the essence, the gift of six, I can't really, there's no hiding place left in the nine structures. It's all kind of dissolved into some other kind of possibility that we would think of in terms of realization, a, a particular way of experiencing what we are beyond any concept of self, which is scary to the ego, but when that happens, it's actually, shall we say, a very nice place to be. At this point, we come to the wake-up call for point nine. And this has uh, a couple of parts to it. But what we want to be aware of in the nine space is how we erase ourselves. How by habit, by reflex, we make our choices, our wishes not matter. We can be kind about it. Again, as you could see a nine as a child, maybe I saw difficulties in my family. People needed different things. There, It didn't feel like there was enough to go around. Where there's ego, there's scarcity, right? And so the nine little idea was if I put myself aside and make more space and everybody else is then more okay, they'll be able to take care of me. But then we end up waiting, 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 and, and the people don't show up. It's kind of like holding the door for people and they keep going through and no one holds the door for me. And then you get angry, right? So we don't want to let it get to that point. We want to catch this as it's arising. So one way we can do that is to take a kind of inner scan whenever people ask us what we want or what we think. The reflex that we will have is like, uh, well, what do you want? Where would you like to go to dinner? I don't care. Whatever you want is fine with me. It's going to be the reflex, something like that. But to stop, 
take a breath and say, I don't know. Give me a second. I'm going to check in with myself and I will offer something. Now, if your friends are on your side, and believe me, anybody that loves you really is, they've been waiting for you to come forward like this, they're going to be happy to give you a moment to sort of tune in. They know that it's not your habit to be able to come up instantly, but to ask for permission, ask for space, dare to request these things, and dare to check in to see what I do choose. Be aware of when you pull yourself out of the game. Uh, So maybe your partner said, what do you want for dinner? And you said, I don't care. And they said, okay, we're going here. And then you realize you don't want to go there. And so what happens? Shut down. We stop communicating. We go into our ruminating. We start talking to ourselves and we're gone. And our, you know, believe it or not, your loved ones notice you're gone. So A, it's better if you can notice this as soon as it happens. B, if it has happened and you're stuck, take some deep breaths, find your physical presence, be there with your body as it is right now, and communicate from there. It's not just to get grounded so you can disconnect. That's what you've learned to do. That's why those centers are not hooked up inside. Once you're there, share something of what you're feeling with the people you're with. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be some emotional dump. You just share, you know what? I'm feeling lonely. You know what? I'm feeling scared. You know what? I I don't know why I went along with this, but I'm not happy with our choice. And I'd like to talk about it. That's going to take some courage which connects us again with point six. It's going to take showing up like we matter. That's point three. And in that triangle, we start to reappear in the world and we're training ourselves, retraining ourselves to be the fullness and the force of good in this world that we can be. It has to begin with us letting people know where we are, what's going on in us and what our needs are. That's a tall order for any human being but for our beloved nine family, it's, it's the big challenge. Also, the internal movement of the centers is going to be invisible. But I, I want to add that the speaking up, sharing what's in your heart is a way of making you not invisible. Uh, a nine is a type that doesn't need more invisibility. We need to let our light shine or this... They, it says in scripture, we don't want to hide our light under a bushel barrel. So as we've thought about all this and felt into it, you know, maybe you are a nine and things I'm saying are, are resonating. Oh, this is my core pattern. Or maybe there's a nine you love in your family or friend or your partner, whatever. We all know this place and we all have an inner nine. One thing I hope that we're noticing is that the types are not flat. There's a big difference between how I show up in the world when I'm connected with the nine gift and that quality of presence is there in my centers and my centers are helping me stay present in a certain way. That's a very different thing than when I'm just kind of going along with the average personality stuff and that's just fine. I'm 
I'm going through the motions, I'm being a nice person, but there's a certain way that my soul is withheld from people. I'm hidden, I'm, I'm hidden away, I'm in my inner world while I'm going through all the things I'm supposed to do. I think it's kind of amazing how nines have this ability to just show up at the meeting, do what I'm supposed to do, get through the requirements of life while internally re- kind of untouched, kind of hidden away. You know, I'm there, but I'm not there. That's what the average nine is. It's this disengagement instead of engagement. I'm here, but I'm not here. It's It gets into the lower side of it. This is where we'll tend to see the nine stereotype of being a couch potato, uh, laying around, watching TV, playing around with the computer, playing games, etc., etc., kind of frittering my life away in certain respects. And this is where, again, some people start to call nines lazy. But let's be honest, that's not laziness. That's a sign the person is in trouble. Generally speaking, when people are behaving like that, they are depressed not lazy. And calling a depressed person lazy is not particularly helpful to them. Basically, what happens is I'm so much of my energy is going into resisting my feelings, resisting my anger, trying to keep the world from messing with me, trying to resist being affected by other people and what's going on. It There's no energy left for my life, for my relationships. And so this manifests as depression. I'm just flat and affectless and very hard to motivate myself toward constructive action, especially for myself. Maybe a loved one needs something, I can do that. But when it comes to things I need to do for me, for my own development, for my own creativity, for my aspirations, I just feel shut down and it's not available. So again, I really want to strike the chord that this is not laziness. It's a it's a heaviness. Sloth at this level manifests as feeling heavy, sluggish, numb, shut down, and uninspired. You know, and that's kind of the low end of the spectrum. So you might find yourself in any part of that. And one way you would know that you're a nine is not, if you've only known the higher side of it, probably not a nine. If you've only known the lower side of it, maybe not a nine there too. Really, if you are that type, you'll see yourself traversing that track. And the same with the eight or any of the other types we'll look at. There's a movement up and down the scale of our identification and lostness in these patterns that manifests differently as we get more stuck and manifests in a different way as we get out of it. I'd also say people always ask me, do you stay the same type your whole life? And I would answer, yes, but with the caveat. One of the reasons we do the work is to get some freedom from being fixated in the type, being stuck in it, being identified with the patterns. When that happens, I tend to react to things the same way I always have. Like, so to take a fixated person and give them instructions, okay, if you meet a two, do X, Y, and Z. If that person is still fixated, they might think that's a good idea, but they won't be able to get out of the pattern to do something different. We have a lot less freedom than we imagine 
when we're stuck in these patterns. The word fixation really is a good word here. So as we do the work and we soften and loosen the fixations, we start to see through them. We risk feeling things that we couldn't risk feeling before. We open to qualities of presence that we didn't know before. We get out of the box. We start to expand. And as we become healthier in our type, we also spread out like a tree and we can begin to engage the good stuff in the other types and recognize whatever little shadow issues from those types might be running around in the back of our heads. So there's a process of expanding out of our stuckness in the type as we evolve. But let's not fool ourselves. If we're thinking, oh, well, I'm free and I'm all of it, we probably haven't done the homework to see what our pattern of stuckness tends to be. And believe me, we have one. One of the reasons that we emphasize presence is because presence is the part of us that's not identified, not stuck. So from there, we can see our stuckness and make another choice. Without that, we just can endlessly discuss these patterns and we may or may not see them accurately, but we certainly don't have the means to do something different if we aren't accessing the parts of us that aren't the pattern. So it's a tricky business, but as we go through these, uh, these nine types, these nine points, I think it will get clearer and clearer as we look at each one of them in its specifics. So now we're going to take a few moments to really deepen our awareness of the nine energy in us. And if we're nines, this could be helpful to come back to the essential quality of nine. And if we're not, we can all benefit from reconnecting with this part of ourselves. So as we always do, we want to turn our attention to sensation and breath. So just take a few moments to breathe a little more deeply and presence that breath. And as you find that breath and the rhythm that it brings you to, see also how that affects your awareness of sensation. And here, especially with nine, it's important not to rush yourself. Take your time. Really land. And as you can feel your breath, your feet on the ground, your body resting wherever it's resting. Bring your awareness to your lower abdomen, to your belly. An area that in Chinese tradition is called the Dantian. Now imagine your hips, the bones of your hips are creating a bowl. And that bowl is slowly filling with a liquid. As you relax and sense 
the bowl fills with the liquid. It's kind of coming down, coming down from your spine and just gently filling in this bowl. And as you feel this feeling sensation of presence in that bowl of your hips, in your belly, imagine a little point in the middle of that bowl, floating in the middle of that liquid. And as you imagine it, also see if you can sense something there. There's a little point of presence sitting right there in the middle of your belly. If you find that, bring your attention to it and rest there. If you don't, that's all right. Just be in a relaxed, grounded state, feeling that round, full sensation of your belly. Notice how as you bring your attention here, the sense of where you're looking from tends to drop. Maybe at first we're kind of looking down at our experience. That's just the normal setting for a personality. But as we relax into the belly, the place we are experiencing from tends to drop. It may drop right down into the body, but just see what happens. We don't need to control that. There's a natural progression of how this unfolds. When all else fails, just come back to your breath and your feet on the ground and the simple relaxation into just being here. And notice how this may bring a certain peaceful and grounding quality to your heart and your mind. A beautiful settling. And as you prepare to come out of this practice, whenever you do, be aware of how you come out. Be aware of whether you're just jumping back into a pattern or whether you're bringing some of this groundedness with you as you move into your day. <laughs> 